This week, I had the absolute privilege of speaking to Thomas Bjorkman, who is um, quite the entrepreneur and businessman, but also the founder of the Oak Island Retreat in Sweden, which is modelled on the original retreats that were state-funded across Scandinavia at the turn of the last century. It was these retreats that helped instill the human capabilities across the people who lived in Scandinavia to face adversity and uncertainty at that time so that they could turn around and flourish. See where I'm going? In this podcast, amongst many things, we talked about the true depths of the shifts that we're seeing right now in an interconnected world. We talked, Thomas put forward how this can only be facilitated, it cannot be managed. Certainly we have to get over the hubris of man of what we can manage and what we can only facilitate. And then we also looked at what are the real human capabilities and capacities that are required to face the unknown, the volatile, unknown, complex situation that we are faced with. The focus of this conversation is challenging and it can be scary. And you will see me myself during it actually processing it emotionally. As again, I listen to a fantastic speaker who's got an amazing perspective on the world, but also it's beautifully human, this conversation. It's so groundedly human. A few weeks ago in a podcast, I asked the question, where have all the grown-ups gone? Well, having spoken to Thomas, A, I've found one, and B, I know where the rest are starting to come from. I found this, as I said, a beautifully, beautifully human conversation. And still today, the day after I've recorded it, I'm still processing it. I'll be honest, I, I cried after I spoke to Thomas with just joy that there is someone there who is championing, championing and taking being human so very seriously. And I think there's so much to be learned from this. So enjoy, Thomas. Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. Today I have the great pleasure of welcoming, welcoming Thomas Bjork to the show. Thomas, welcome. Uh, thank you, Bryn. Thank you for having me on your podcast. You're very welcome. So for um, just to, for listeners, you're over in Stockholm in Sweden currently. Yes, uh, absolutely. So I, I hope we still will have a, have a good uh, connection. Uh, it, it looks like we have a clear connection. So uh, I'm Swedish. I'm, I'm Swedish, uh, born in Sweden, but I've been uh, living in Switzerland and uh, most lately the last 15 years in, in, in London. Mm. So, uh, uh, but I'm very happy to have spent the last six months during COVID in, in Stockholm, where I have a lot of my, my projects currently. Excellent. So for those who um, are uninitiated, you're, you're, a previous, you're a financier, social entrepreneur, uh, you also founded the Oak Island Foundation and, and also co-authored a book called The Nordic Secret. Um, that's a fair summary, is that yeah, correct? Uh, uh, absolutely. I left banking. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more of a business entrepreneur. I was a more a business entrepreneur than a, a financer. I started businesses in, in IT, in property, and in banking. And I built a banking business, and I sold that. 10 years ago and then had the opportunity to think about what to do with the second half of my life. And I decided to start this foundation, the uh, Oak Island Foundation, Ekskäret Foundation in, in Sweden, in Swedish. 
uh, in Sweden, uh, looking at the um, relationship between inner personal growth and um, societal change. And we're doing that both from a practical perspective. We have youth camps in the summer and adult retreats the rest, the rest of the year. But, but also, as I mentioned, I've, I've written a few books. I've written a book called The Market Myth after coming out from the, the banking world. Uh, then um, together with uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Lena Anderson, The Nordic Secret, and most lately, uh, um, The World We Create. Mm. So um, just as a lead into this, could you give me a rough, um, an overview of, of the, the contents of the Nordic Secret? So it's very much around what the Scandinavian countries did to turn things around at the start of the previous century, um, developing some um, key sort of life skills. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So I, um, I, I should perhaps start a, li a little bit just in, in my latest book, The, the World We Create, because um, there really I, I draw a picture of the, the human development uh, through Stone Age up until today and how we have been creating our world, our socially constructed world, and how we are living in this socially constructed world and mostly take it for granted. But sometimes uh, humanity shifts these socially constructed worlds are collective imaginaries, as some um, sociologists uh, mm. call them. And these changes uh, can be uh, of different depth. And when you are going through a deep change in our society, which involves even perhaps a change in our worldview, then that becomes very demanding on us as individuals to be able to not just cope with and manage in such transition times, but actually to be able to be conscious contributors and co-creators of, mm. of the new world that, that wants to be born. And, and again, in, in my writing and in my foundation, um, we've been looking at very much how can we, from a practical point, build those inner capabilities, those inner transformational skills that, yeah. that can help us not only to... to uh, manage and survive in turbulent times, but actually thrive and, and contribute. So, mm. uh, so my foundation has been doing that for 10 years, but then for about uh, soon five years, uh, again, my friend and colleague, philosopher and author, Leon Anderson from Denmark and I, we, we uh, noticed that something that is hidden in the history of the Scandinavian countries and even forgotten a lot in the Scandinavian countries about how we managed this, again, a very turbulent transition from in the end of the 1800s being the poorest uh, non-democratic uh, agrarian societies in, in Europe. I mean, in, in Sweden at the end of the 1800s, uh, some estimates are that up to 30% of the working population emigrated mainly to the US because they were just suffering and, and starving. Uh, and then just a few generations later, even before uh, the Second World War, uh, all the Nordic countries were amongst the top of uh, the mm. list of the richest, the happiest, 
the most stable industrial democracies. Yeah. And of course, th this transition, this, uh, this way of managing this transition is perhaps arguably uh, the most successful ways that it was done anywhere in the world. And Lena and I, are, we are the first one to, to, uh, to point out that now we are losing this a bit in the Scandinavian countries. But right. back then, in the beginning of the 1900s, we did something that I think I could claim was better than any other country has done in managing the transition from the pre-modern to the modern society. Mm. And again, many reasons, but one very important and forgotten reason and that is the Nordic secret. And that is that we had politicians and intellectuals in all the Nordic countries who really understood the importance of personal inner growth. And specifically, they knew that in times of rapid societal change, and of course they saw both industrialization and urbanization coming, and they knew that this would be very disruptive to the societies and also they were firmly committed to move out of a, an author, authoritarian, non-democratic uh, regime. We were, we were very strict monarchists back then, into yeah. democracy. In those times, it's just so easy for us humans to want to have an external authority to hold on to. Yes. Either a, a dogmatic religion or an authoritarian leader. Well, it makes life but, easy, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. over the power. Exactly. And, and but it doesn't work that like is, that, does it? Of course, of course it's comforting in, in, um, in, in transitions to do that. But the, the brilliant insights from these both philosophers and politicians were that if everyone is just depending on what everybody else thinks, and perhaps ultimately to an authoritarian leader, then that leader must know everything and decide everything. But these transitions, especially if they are deep, they are emergent, meaning that you do not know exactly what, what, what is coming out because you yes. have technological development and social innovation and institutional innovations and all of that. So these deeper transitions in society, you, you can't plan them and you can't manage no. them, but, no. but you can facilitate them. You, you can sort of in, increase the chances that this, if I can use a, a science language, this self-organizing system that any culture is, that, that that system will actually be able to reorganize on a more complex, but also more elegant level, yes. rather than facing a breakdown. Yes. So, you, so the society will come to one of these bifurcation points where, where it's really either breakthrough or break down, just yes. continuing that 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 possibility does not uh, exist. And, and I really like I really like that um, the difference between facilitation and management, because yeah. I get when you say management, I, I almost have the picture of King Canute sitting in his chair saying no to the tide as it still yeah. keeps yeah. coming in, whereas yeah. facilitation is in effect you know surfing the wave instead. Yeah, F facilitating or or supporting or or in just increasing the odds mm. for, for a breakthrough uh, <clears throat> rather than, than a breakdown. And, and, I think, and the idea... Sorry, uh, uh, sorry, but I think to actually work with and facilitate rather than manage is, it also involves a, a downscaling of the arrogance and hubris of man to think that he can control everything. 
yeah, and it might be that uh, um, I, re I really like uh, 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 to quote my my uh, my friend and colleague, uh, the African uh, philosopher Bio Akumulafe here. Mm. He, he sometimes says, uh, "My ancestors tell me we are in an emergency. We yeah. have to slow down." And of course, to our Western mind, you know, we are in an emergency, climate crisis, democracy crisis, psychological health crisis, all of that. And you want to act, act. Yes. But, 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 but it might be the right thing to do, to slow down. Yes. Well, yeah. the, 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 the want to act is very similar to the natural stress response of flight, which is yeah. I need to do something um i need to respond to this stressor and and then anxiety will occur and then i need to do i need to act as opposed to calm down from the initial stress response and maybe we're doing that collectively at this point yeah. in time yeah i think we are we are collectively stressing out mm. Uh, mm. At, at, the, at this point so, and, and not without reason i mean yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the paradox i mean i know i know again with okay. climate crisis and and democracy falling falling apart and all of that that we have all reason to panic indeed indeed um and, and we'll come back to that in a minute we'll come back to the panic in a sec but um back to the 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 nordic yeah. the nordic yes. secret so, yeah so 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 let me continue that so then Back a hundred years ago, or 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 a bit more, uh, these insightful politicians and in intellectuals, they they realized that um, we we cannot just follow an external authority here. We we need yeah. actually to to help a substantial part of the population to to be able to be grounded enough in themselves connected mm. to their own inner compass yes. not being dependent on outside authority to know what, what is right and wrong and yes. in, in in contemporary developmental psychological language in the language of professor keegan for example we would say that a sufficient amount of us all in in the population need to leave the the, the meaning making uh, state of a socialized mind where yes. you are dependent on your peer group and authority for not only your compass, not only your values, but also your own worth. You're yes. seeking confirmation from, from the outside of your own worth. To, to the next level of, of, of on our adult maturation journey, which in the same language is called that you are operating from a meaning-making state of self-authoring. Yes. Where you have connected with your own inner in in a compass your friends might think one thing your culture might think one thing your president might say one thing but you still know that that you have your values and this is what's important for me and this is what i'm acting from and and then in order to help a substantial part of the population to actually reach this inner level of of uh, of maturity that some argue is, is a necessity to have a functioning democracy because democracy sort of presupposes, uh, the theory presupposes that we are all in this sort of self-authoring mind, which we are not. So, so do you know what they did? 
And of course, you listen to my TED talk and other things, so you, yes. you know that. I know, yeah. The Nordic secret is really that they started what perhaps today could best be described as retreat centers. Yes. And they started a lot of these retreat centers all over Scandinavia. So by the turn of the last century, year 1900, there were a hundred centers like this in, just in Denmark, wow. 75 in Norway and 150 in Sweden, where later on with full state subsidy, young adults in their twenties could spend up to six months in wow. retreat uh, in order to um, learn about new technology, learn about self-organizing, how you organize uh, co communities and, and take uh, action. But perhaps most importantly, with the explicit aim of starting the maturation journey to, towards uh, self-authoring. Self and they actually had, as we describe in the book, they had very advanced psychological theories about these development, important developmental stages in, in life. And just finally, there, when this was at its height, almost exactly 100 years ago, then 10% uh, of each young generation in Sweden and Norway and Denmark had the opportunity to participate in, in one of these uh, six-month programs. And, and of course, that created a critical mass in society. And today, we might be talking about a, a tipping point, especially since these 10% did not come just from some sort of, of elite group somewhere, financial elite, cultural elite, intellectual elite or something. No, they, they came from all walks in, in life and the majority were actually from farming or uh, working class uh, backgrounds. That's just phenomenal that yeah. such, an, such a widespread forward thinking, almost social engineering, um, project can be undertaken and particularly yeah. by particularly by um at a state level as well because and, and, and the beautiful thing sorry for interrupting you yeah. just reacting a, a little bit there on the social engineering part be, be, because the beauty i find in this is that uh, it's a social intervention but yes. it is not it, but it is not what i would call engineering because yes. then yeah. you know the outcome and, and uh, oh, you know the outcome, or you want right. to you want to push a specific set of values or action on yes. people. Yes. And and that was not the case. The beauty the beauty was that you really let people just connect with their inner compass and their developmental journey. And these projects were supported from the whole political spectrum, from the conservatives to the liberals to the social democrats, because right. all of them saw that even if we have different political programs, we will all benefit from having a higher consciousness level in, in the population, because then they can really understand our arguments from the conservative side, from the liberal side, or from the social democratic side. So mm. yeah, we can disagree on politics, but let's agree that a mature uh, population is better than an immature population. Yes. They did, and they yeah. did. Indeed, because because, because one of the, the things... only ones. Sorry for again. Go on, go on. Because the only the only polit politician who benefits from an immature population is the authoritarian politician. Yes. Yeah. 
he thrives on uh, an immature population that is driven by fear and the need for outside authority. Yeah. And, and just to, um, yeah, I'm just soaking that up because, <laughs> it, yeah, you've just connected a few dots for me there. And, and this often happens on my podcast. Um, <laughs> but, I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. And I'm quite transparent about it when the pennies drop for me. Um, I think the thing that blows me away as well is, is that it was done at a cross-party cross state level because one of the challenges i have with the whole area of um personal growth and self-development and things like that is that it, it it it's driven by private interests and so it, i think it's fair to say that whilst there's a lot of well-meaning people there's it's also a it's a whole industry and so sometimes the the generation of income surpasses the focus on the actual output of what you're trying to do and so the fact that that's been taken care of you know if i think anybody who particularly watches wa real at some point will have weighed up oh i'd love to do this course but it costs so much money yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and things like that and or, or they've been on a course which they've spent some money on and they they found the sales and the marketing wasn't quite followed through into the execution and so to take that out of it so we can get back to the purest version of developing people and developing consciousness and therefore a society is just um it's just staggering really just to yeah. even let it sink in yeah i, I must then take the opportunity to plug an, another of my initiatives here as you as you mentioned this uh, question about accessibility of course we are doing this on on our on our retreat uh, island, the Ekraret Island, just like people are doing everywhere in, in, in the world. I mean, I think the most famous center for personal development and growth might be the SLN Institute, uh, Big Sur in, in California, where very many of these uh, techniques uh, for per personal growth were pioneered in the 60s and the, and the 70s. But, mm. um, and I still believe strongly, of course, that in the human, um, personal connection often out in nature and these retreat centers were out in nature and in mm. and SLN are out in nature and we are trying to use nature as a catalyst in these processes yes. having said that they are as you say expensive it's yes. expensive to travel and you need you, you need lodging and you need everything and uh, so what my foundation in Stockholm is experimenting with is together with, an, uh, with another foundation in Stockholm called the Norfriant Foundation, the Northern Lights Foundation, which is a technology for, for the common good foundation. We are developing um, uh, a, a platform, a digital platform for uh, personal development. And, mm. and that is a nonprofit, open source, co-created initiatives where pra practitioners and researchers can upload their interventions and then our users can free, freely download our app, 29K, uh, at 29K.com, and then freely use this. Because I think that, again, now, we need really to scale this. Personal yes. development is not just some, something for an economic elite or a business elite who can sort of write this off as a business expense. For, for this to have impact in the world again, and especially in these turbulent times, we need to 
give this to millions of, of people. And, mm. and there, I think that uh, uh, scaling this through technology could be one way. Mm. So within possibly the app and within these retreats, what, what were some of the areas that people were actually focusing on in order to development, develop this level of maturity? Mm. Yeah. Um, and of course, this field of, of um, uh, adult developmental psychology, that you, you, that mm. you might call it, this is, of course, that, that we can mature throughout life as humans, mm. given, given the right circumstances. That, that is, of course, something that humanity has known since Stone Age. Yes. And, and of course, it has been an original part, even if in many religions this has been forgotten in practice. But I think all major uh, religions and spiritual traditions has had an understanding of this uh, lifelong developmental journey at its core uh, and wanting to facilitate that, yes. uh, that journey. Uh, from a more secular perspective, um, the, the German um, uh, romantic philosophers and idealist philosophers who wrote in the beginning of the 1800s, they had a very clear view on this um, human developmental journey from a secular perspective. Writers like uh, Schiller, Goethe, Herder, von Humboldt, Hegel, they all reacted against the Enlightenment's view of our mind as a rational machine. Yes. It's really this Enlightenment's view as a rational machine that, that, we, that is still so dominant today that we believe that once our brain, once our brain has stopped growing when we are perhaps 20, that then yeah. our mind has also stopped growing. But yes. no, of course not. So our, our mind might, might be a, a physical org, org, organ with a number of neurons, but our mind is this sort of self-organizing capacity of all those neurons. And that self-organizing capacity, like any self-organizing system, again, yes. comes to these bifurcation points yeah. where you can actually step up in, in meaning making and, and understanding and you can expand your view of, of yourself and, 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 of, and of the world. And these yes. developmental journeys, the, the, these philosophers, again, Goethe, Schiller, von Humboldt, they wrote extensively uh, about those and back... Uh, Back then in Scandinavia, German was the first academic language, was the first foreign language. So, of course, mm -hmm. these intellectuals read these philosophers in, in original and picked up on these ideas. But then, un, un, unfortunately, after the Second uh, World War, uh, we stopped reading uh, these German philosophers and we turned towards the Anglo-Saxon world to Oxford, Cambridge, and the US. And, and there it was still sort of the enlightenment view of our mind more as a, a yes. fixed machine that should just be running and you had this idea of the homo economicus in economic theory that we are these yeah. rational transparent uh, decision machines who always makes uh, the right decision for ourselves our children and future generations which of yeah. course we are not of course we <laughs> Of, of, co of course we are not. We all know I was going to come to that in a minute. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but, the, but the theories that we are relying on still, you know, in, in, in <clears throat> political theory and economic theory are, are guided by Locke, 
by lock blank slate and the Descartes um, view of our mind as a machine. I mean, these people were writing in the 1600s. I mean, for <laughs> God's sake, we, 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 have learned, we have learned a bit about human uh, development and human psychology yeah. since, the 16, since the 1600s. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Mm. I think I lost your original question. Though. Yeah, well, I actually, I was, I was asking what, what were some of the actual sort of skills and capabilities? Yes. That, okay, that yeah, people... yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, yeah. So what, what I was leading up to that was that, so of course today we have a deep scientific understanding from contemporary mm. uh, adult developmental psychology of what a healthy human developmental journey um, can look like yes uh, and and that uh, those models that uh, contemporary scientists are now uh, developing they are just very very similar to what philosophers and uh, writers have been using long uh, since since many hundred years they are just confirming schiller and goethe yeah so that that is interesting um and of course these models are quite complex mm -hmm. and i usually say that all models are wrong but some are useful so we yes. need to remember that as well yes. uh, and, and of course you could apply these uh, models on how to facilitate these inner the inner maturation and consciousness development mm. but another way which is a little bit simpler to do is to instead of uh, using these very abstract models uh, break them down into their components because all of these models are talking about inner development in in different along different lines yes and and sometimes we talk about the need to uh, develop our inner transformational skills right inner so that is that that are skills that are very useful for us to be able to manage uh, on our own in transitional time so there are skills for transformation and um, again um, psychologists are looking into this and you, you you could possibly count up to even more than 50 different skills or psychological constructs that you can measure oh, yeah. and you can facilitate. But to simplify that as well, um, yeah. we, uh, we sometimes, or I sometimes, or we sometimes collect these skills in five clusters just for, yeah. to remember that. And if I should just go through those clusters very, very yeah. quickly, I would say it's first of all about openness, to, to, to learn how to stay open. Yes. And, and especially we all know that in times of stress and fear, we mm. usually close down. So, so, yeah. so, to, so to learn how to stay open, even in times of unsecurity, to stay present. Yes. Okay. The next step could be to seek perspectives. Okay, so once you are open, you, then you need to seek perspectives because your perspective on the world is only one. Yes. And it's not that we should get, get trapped in the postmodern trap of all perspectives are equally valid. No, yes. I don't, I don't think so. No. But all <laughs> perspectives add something. Yes. All perspectives have, have a piece of the truth. Yeah. Yes. There's a little so nugget of gold in there. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. 
not an equal amount of gold, <laughs> depending, on the, depending on the situation. And here comes an, another level of, of, of maturation to really be able to discern what mm. perspectives you should give a higher weight in what, in what situation, depending on what the, the task of investigation is. But let's leave that to the side uh, yes. at the moment. But, but the next level is really practicing and developing your ability not just to take different perspectives, but actively seek different perspectives yes. on, on a question. Okay. That, because you only have, you always have your own blind, blind spots and prejudice and, and, and mm. all of that. So how, how do that, I actively seek more perspectives? And does that include, because this was something I, I, I was sort of touching on uh, in a recent podcast with a Jungian analyst where we talked about the ability to hold the tension of opposite views. Is that many, many people don't like that tension no. and so therefore collapse things. Yeah, that's the next. So oh. once you have these opposite views, the, yeah. then we come to the skill of sense making. Yes. A and you can make sense making on many different levels. And, and a young child makes sense in one way, a young yeah. adult in a different way, but a mature and wise adult should be able to make sense in more complex ways. So, for example, a young adult might want to make sense in terms of right and wrong, us and them, black and white. And that's a very simple way of making sense. Yes. But, but again, it's a better way of making sense than being in, in the sense making of a three-year-old who hasn't <laughs> dif differentiated these things yet. Yes. I mean, it is a developmental stage just to be able to separate right from wrong. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. But then next step in sense making would be exactly what you, you say, not to fall into the trap of these false dichotomies, but actually yeah. be able to hold the tension, to see yeah. the world in more nuance and depth and hold the tension of, of conflicting paradox, conflicting perspectives and even paradox. And to see that you do not necessarily need to resolve the paradox but the paradox in itself adds to the understanding rather than confuses the understanding. And, and, and if you want a more um, mature and adult population who can then be more present democratic citizens, which we were talking about earlier on, yeah. you yeah. need these skills in place. Yeah, because if, if you just see the world in black and white and us and them, uh, that is not going to help us in this complex, modern, multicultural, uh, rapidly moving world. You need to be able to to see the world in nuances and hold yeah. more perspectives. I mean, because yeah. that is the truth of life. It, it yeah. can't be yeah. just reduced. It yeah. is. It is grey. It's complex. It yeah. contradicts yeah. itself. It's yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, our ability to 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 to. Uh, as young adults to, to, uh, or adolescents to, to start to discern in the world truth, not truth, right, wrong, um, uh, that, that had uh, a survival value for us. And that yes. is an important developmental step that, that we shouldn't look down upon. Mm. We should acknowledge that as an important step but also know that it's just a step. And as more mature adults, we, we can and we should, and we should be expected to, and we are not expected to 
in today's yeah. society. We should be expected to transcend that yeah. thinking up until a, into a more more um, mature way of, of, yeah. of meaning. Okay, so we had stay open, openness, perspective seeking, sense yeah. making. Okay, and once you have made sense, that then you have a little bit of a map. Yes. But then you need a compass, and that are your your moral values. So the next the next set of skills is really to develop your con connection with your inner compass and yes. taking this step of becoming self-authoring and, and, and realizing that you have your own compass. Yeah. And, and this is a little bit, um, it's a little bit more complicated than one might think because perhaps not very young, young children or, or psychopaths, they might not have no compass at all, but even an adolescent and a young adult has its own compass. Yes. And that could be a very strong compass. So that we, so we're not saying that, that, that um, a young adult or an adolescent does not have a, um, an inner compass, but it's not your own compass. Mm. Again, that is a compass that you have been socialized into ac accepting. Uh -huh. By your peer group uh, yeah. or by society, uh, or by an authoritarian leader or by a dogmatic religion has sort of installed an outside compass in you. Yes. And again, that had survival value and that has value for a teenager and, 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 yeah, yeah, and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you, if you have an outside compass inside you and you believe that the world is either right or wrong, that, then it could be very easy to say that everyone who does not exactly have the same internal compass as I have, are, are just uh, my enemy. Yes. They are the others and, and, so, and so on. There's and, the world the, cancel culture right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and another bad thing with an with, with, with externally installed compass is that it is, it's, it's not very uh, uh, robust. It's very mm. fragile. Yes. Be because if you end up in a new peer group and, or you have another authoritarian leader, then that compass immediately disintegrates and you get a new compass. And, and that is what we've seen, for example, in, in I, I would say in, in the US right now with, uh, with, with Trump, that a lot of people who you thought had sort of a, a, a sound internal compass, yeah, they had a compass, but it, it was installed by some sort of culture, which they didn't really, really on a deeper level uh, agree with. Yes. And when the outside authority said, it's okay to drop that compass, here is a new one, yeah. then you shift like this. Yes. Whereas if you have found through maturation a connection to your own true inner values, then you will hold those values much, much more firmly. Mm. And then your, your peer group or your culture or your uh, leader could say something else but you still remain with your values. Yes. And, and that is why we have Rosa Parks on the cover of our book, The, the, the Nordic Secret, the, the black woman who in Alabama refused to give up her seat to, uh, to this white person, even though the law of the land said that that was what she should do. She sort of had a strong internal compass saying that, no, the, this is what I believe in. And I will even go to, I will even be arrested if that is, if that is necessary. And, and the and, beautiful thing that is that 
she has said in many interviews, and that's why we have her on the cover there, that what gave her that inner compass was the fact that she had attended one of these retreats at one of those Scandinavian centers. Wow. But in the US, because this concept, and you can read more about it in the book, actually traveled to the US. And the few centers were of this model were established in, in the US. And the most, fav, most um, famous one is the Highlander Folk School in Tennessee, where Rosa Parks and many other of the civil rights movements uh, leaders uh, participated and found there in their compass and strength mm. the catalyst of, for social change. Mm. And I guess. Okay, so, okay, sorry, so that was apparent. So, so now we have openness, we have perspective seeking, we have sense making, developing your own inner compass and connecting to, to that. And then the final set of cluster of skills, they are all about compassion. Mm. And again, we have many levels of compassion and many different ways of, of understanding and, and, and um, talking about compassion. You have compassion, you have self-compassion, you have empathy, but just for simple reason, we have this, uh, this heading of compassion. Because I would say that none of these skills so far has very much value if, if you haven't got a developed compassion. Mm. And again, luckily, science tells us that all these skills that I mentioned, including compassion, we are able to develop. We are right. not born with, with a certain amount of compassion. We can develop it. We can both deepen our capacity for compassion and we can widen the circles that for, for our care and, and uh, compassion. So that is the good news. Science tells us that yes. these skills are, we are possible to develop them. The bad news is that, <laughs> that we can't just teach these skills yes. in sort of a traditional school setting or course. If you, if you have um, an employee in your organization that you think would really benefit from, from deepening that compassion, you cannot just send that person on a three-day compassion training course <laughs> yes. and then they, they come back with a certificate of <laughs> completed <laughs> training. I'm now compassionate. No, all of these skills can be facilitated, but not taught in a traditional sense. They all require something that is called, and this is a quite established concept of transformational learning. Yes. The transformational skills needs transformational learning. And that is, of course, a learning process that takes a long time, weeks, yes. months, years. And it involves these deeper psychological processes that we are mainly unaware of. But yes. that is, of course, what we are trying to do. Uh, what they were trying to do back then in these retreat centers that were called folk high schools, that what we are trying to do today at the Oak Island and at other retreat centers, and what we are trying to achieve also with the digital support of 29K. It's all about this transformational experiential learning to develop skills like this. Just not, just, not just for the individual. Yes. Certainly for the individual, because we believe that in this rapidly moving world, we don't know what we should, what we should teach our, chi our, our children or what even what mm. skills we should develop ourselves. Because in 10 years, the world will be completely different. But we can be sure that these skills will always be in demand. Yes. So you have a strong incentive individually to develop these skills. But mm. I think, again, 
tying this back to where we started and the societal change that we are going through today, yes. these are also exactly the skills we need to have at a large scale in society to be able to facilitate this transition and to help people to become active co-creators in this transformation uh, and not, not just victims of the transformation. That's phenomenal. That's, you know, the, the level of thinking there is just, it's, uh, the words that come to mind are beautifully human. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but it, it, all, it all makes sense and I mean it's fairly simple it does, but, but it does. It's, fairly, it's, it's, it's fairly simple and, and it's, it's not surprising that the, these politicians and intellectuals 150 years ago saw this so clearly and, and implemented these programs what, what makes it difficult today is that our world view is our world view and that in our world view we still look uh, on our mind as, a, as this machine and we can't see that it's a it's an organic developing um, force that we have mm. inside ourselves and that we can facilitate the development of these capacities. Because that was, that was going to be my next sort of question for you, was you talked earlier on about the, the different levels of change that we're going through. And I think you, you, you group them into five levels. Yeah. Um, and I think you possibly alluded to one of the levels of depth that we're going through in earlier on in the fact that you had these philosophers and, and politicians who could see or, or reacting against the, the, the rationalist enlightenment um, left hand brain thinking yeah. approach to life, which is shutting off part of the humanity and emotions and the, 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 the Freudian id part of life. Um, do you think that amongst many of the things that are happening at the moment, we, are, we have run our course with that way of thinking, that ideology, and that we are coming back to, back, almost back to a zero point at the moment, whether we're moving to another bit, but coming back to a zero point, does that make sense? Yeah, uh, uh, absolutely. I, um, I think what we should do first is, of course, acknowledge the, the huge value of that left brain hemisphere perspective. I mean, the, the, the enlightenment and the enlightenment thinking and the enlightenment emphasis on our individuality and on our rationality, that, that is what has um, given us uh, mod modern medicine, human rights, democracy. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, we should, we should celebrate the enlightenment and the enlightenment thinking. But at the same time, I think you are absolutely right that um, humanity has now come to a point where such a total emphasis on just that sort of thinking is, is not uh, any longer valuable, rather the opposite. I, I think that many of these uh, components of this meta crisis that we are in right now, not the least the environmental uh, uh, problems, but also psychological ill health and a lot yeah. of other problems are results of this exclusive, uh, of exclu exclusively looking at the world through that particular lens. So, so I think that it's not, uh, we are at a state now where we should not throw, throw away that lens or that perspective, no. but we certainly need to 
complement that with other perspectives and other ways of understanding yes. our, our world and, and understanding our, ourselves. And uh, uh, realizing that the scientific rationalistic perspective is extremely valuable and powerful when it comes to understanding the natural world. Mm. But when it comes to understanding our inner world, our subjective experience, mm. it doesn't help us very much. Yes. And also, it's very difficult to apply this. It's not completely useless, but it's difficult to apply when it comes to our socially constructed world. This yes. world that I before call, um, called our collective imaginary or yes. the socially constructed world. And we should remember that today in the human world that we are living in, I mean, 95% of our human world is socially constructed. Mm. So, so things like um, money, nation states, uh, presidents, uh, marriages, or yeah. all of that, you know, that we sort of take for granted are, are just um, human constructs. And they're usually very useful human constructs, especially they, they were usually very useful in the historical setting where they were sort of uh, uh, invented and, and, and implemented. But, you know, many of these things are, 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 are very, very recent and were implemented for a particular reason. I mean, the nation state is, the concept of the nation state is just a couple of hundred years uh, um, old. Yeah. Uh, the, co the concept of money uh, might be a, th a couple of thousand years old, but the concept of a market, and especially a global market, I mean, that, that's a very recent uh, mm. phenomenon. And, and when we are investigating these um, sides of our human world, both the inner world and the socially constructed world, we, we need to find other ways to, to, uh, to approach this. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry, I, I might just go on, go on and take one example to make this a little bit more uh, understandable and, and tangible. So I sometimes talk about and say that in our modern world, in, in our contemporary world, for me as an individual, I am totally dependent on having air, oxygen to breathe, uh, and, and money to buy things to live. So for yes. me as an individual, I need oxygen and I need money, okay? Yes. Uh, but these are two things that ha have got fundamentally different, are of fundamentally different kinds. To use a philosophical word, th they have different ontology. Yes. Because even if the whole of humanity came together and said that we do not want to be dependent on oxygen any longer, we couldn't do anything about that. Yeah. Whereas if the whole of humanity came together, or even a nation state came together and say, we don't want to believe in money any longer. We want to allocate the, the goods of our society in, in a different way. Then money would be gone tomorrow. Yes. So, yeah. But having that insight doesn't help me as an individual. Because when I'm checking out at my local uh, uh, supermarket, <laughs> yes. if I tell the cashier that m money is just a social construct, it's just an idea and an invention, 
I don't believe in that, she would call the police on me. Yeah. Because everybody else <laughs> does believes in this construct yeah. and so, do, so, so do our institutions. Mm. So for me as an individual, it's they are meeting my need for oxygen and my need for, for money need, meets me as objective reality truths. Whereas yes. for us as a collective, they have completely different uh, characteristics. And we have a collective freedom yes. to shape our collective imaginary, our socially constructed world that we quite often forget about. And just to finish this an analogy between sort of the natural things that we cannot do anything about and the socially constructed things that are under our collective control, sometimes it even seems that we are mixing this up. And, and we believe somehow that yes. the planetary boundaries are up for negotiation, whereas the market forces, we just have to obey. Yes. Whereas, of course, it's, it's the opposite. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So this sense-making and seeing a little bit deeper into ourselves and seeing a little bit deeper into reality is super important now, now that these things are becoming a little bit more liquid and, and we are in this turbulent change. And, and the more yeah. people that, that can look deeper into society and use concepts like this from deep sociology, like mm. the collective imaginary, can see deeper into ourselves and use deep psychology, Jungian insights about our unconscious, uh, our, our archetypes mm. and, and all of that, but also deep history to yeah. see back and to see these shifts that we in humanity have gone through many times before. So this is not the first time we are in one of these deep shifts in humanity. And for looking from history, and that Yuval Harari's Sapiens is a, is a wonderful book to read to, to see this pattern of how the, he's talking a lot about this socially constructed uh, mm. world and how, how that is, is shifting. So if you have an understanding of, of history, then you also know that, they, that these societies and civilizations are very fragile things. Mm. And in most cases through history, uh, civilizations have not been able to go through this transformation or metamorphosis. Most often civilizations have broken down once they reached um, their own limits and, and constraints. And another civilization has taken over. Even the, when the Roman Empire fell, there were other parts of the world that could take over. But mm. what's making the situation today much more scary is, of course, mm. that today we are living in a global civilization. Yes. And so if we have a global breakdown and a planetary breakdown, there is no plan B, there is no civilization B, there is no planet B that could, that could take over. So... Yeah. That makes it much more important for us right now to mm. actually be self-conscious of this process and, and how we, without again believing that we can manage this, still can be able to facilitate and support this uh, transition. Mm. And I think you've, you've so beautifully taken, taken us and particularly me to the point where there is something so existentially scary about what is happening right now. If you have developed the, the faculties within yourself to 
stay present, stay present in your emotions, not check out, not dissociate, not go and play with Facebook or stay open. YouTube. Yeah, staying stay open. But if you can stay open and actually feel it, it is so very, very scary at the moment because we are so very interconnected at the moment. I mean, here in Western Australia, it's one thing for our politicians to say, oh, we're going to keep the borders tight and keep everybody out. But now we're faced with the prospect of, um, of, of, of food growing in fields with nobody to pick it. Yeah. And, and be, all because the migrant workforce that come in and out and travel around Australia are now not. And that's just one example in amongst many that's hitting the... And, and, and we're talking about food supply there. Yeah. So, so, you know, and that's just one example. And, and so, you know, in, in terms of the, the depth of your, your, what you were talking about in terms of the shifts that we're going through at the moment, I think if you can stay open and stay within your emotions, you can feel just how very, 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 very deep this could be. Would you agree? No, no, absolutely. And, and I think that uh, this COVID crisis that we are going through right now, that, that has also opened our eyes to just the fact that you are pointing out here that we are so interconnected and interdependent. Mm, interdependent. Uh, and, and that is also, of course, scary, but that is also an awakening. And that yes. we awaken to perhaps to the fact that my health is actually not, not just an individ my individual problem and, and, and responsibility to maximize my own health by... Yes. my own health insurance and access to healthcare. I'm actually dependent on other people also having access to healthcare and being able to stay at home if they are sick. If my pizza delivery person comes to me sick because he or she cannot afford to take a day off or to see a doctor or to get tested, that will impact me. Yes. So I'm actually, my health is actually dependent on everyone in my society having a basic access to to uh, to healthcare mm. and and be able to afford to stay at home if if you if you are sick and i hope that this uh, is now sort of opening up a, at least some people to the fact that we are all not just in a nation but also globally really interdependent and of course, we have known this from the environmental crisis, but for many people, yeah. the environmental crisis is still very abstract. When yeah. it hits me and my family as, um, uh, as um, when we become sick uh, or we are afraid of becoming sick, it becomes much, much more immediate and we can relate to it more easily. So for, for all the bad, bad things and, and all the suffering that the COVID crisis has brought mm. upon us, perhaps it has also helped us to, to open our awareness uh, uh, a little bit uh, as mm. humanity. I, I had a previous podcast guest, Professor Sam Vaknin, who as an observation put forward that narcissism has become a, a guiding principle of our society. Narcissism in, in, in relation to, you know, we, we, we maintain focus on our reflection at the cost of our own good um and as this has continued and continued and continued the gap i mean i think this is one of the things that i as an individual feel at times is that 
the way we carry on is so very different to the truth of how we really are yeah. as a human a human being and that it would have to take a systemic global interconnected interdependent failure for us to truly bring us back to what what is real and what is not it's interesting you talked about the the the, the money and the oxygen a minute ago because not so long ago I, I was i was i like to do thought experiments in my journal and so i decided to make a list of of the top 20 reference points that i use to to, to make a reference that you know that i exist yeah and 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 i made a list um you know awake sleep friends relationship money job things like that and and then i put down uh, which which ones would the, which ones are actually real and which ones are just made up in my head yeah. Yeah. and i boiled it down to am i awake or am i asleep okay uh, am i in nature and because yeah. i live in western australia and and i'm close to the beach it's yeah. am i in the ocean or not so was i on land or was i in water and um was i awake or was i asleep everything else was just made up yeah and 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 i i hear what you say about yeah okay so on a practical level i can't get away with not paying for my my groceries but at the same level we you do have to realize that we are playing a game and yeah. so as we head into recession when we see people who are potentially thrown out of homes and starving we have to recognize reconcile the fact that that is happening because we're all agreeing to play a game exactly exactly that's a beautiful input that is beautiful and when we wake up to that that then then we can uh, start thinking what what to do about it the problem mm. we then immediately head into is that in the, in this world just for me to try to make sense of this world is so difficult. So the, mm. our individual sense-making is such a difficult process. Yes. But then we have our collective sense-making. And in order for us to, to be able to change this game that we are playing or the collective imaginary that we are living in or whatever language we want to, we actually need collective decisions. And yes. therefore we need collective sense-making. Uh, and we, are, we, we, we suck at individual sense making in this complex world, but collective sense making, I mean, we shouldn't even talk about it. I mean, <laughs> our, our capacity of collective sense making today seems to be just a zero. Yeah, we, so we, we have this we, huge freedom that we can only realize collectively, but we seem to have zero capacity of making any sense. And therefore we are not able to, to realize this freedom. So we are leaving a lot of freedom here on the table, yeah. but uh, yeah. So, so that 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 is that that is a huge challenge now. So, and of course is. they are related. Yeah. So, so what what sort of what sort of inner capacities, what sort of maturation do I need to to, to have in order for me to be able to, in a good way, participate in a collective sense making? Mm. So that's my individual part. But then also, from a collective perspective, we also need societal structures and yes. scaffoldings to, to sort of harness that potential of collective sense-making. And again, 200 years ago, perhaps the best thing we, we could come up with then when it comes to collective sense-making and decision-making was that, that, that you there in Western Australia, you, you, you 
elected one or two representatives and then you put them on horseback and they rode yeah. to Canberra and, and participated in a parliament once a year and you made collective time. But that's, that's 200 years ago. So today, that is not enough. We, we, we need to find new ways of collective sense making and collective decision making, of course. So whilst, whilst on one level, what we've talked about is very dark and scary, on another level, it's, it, it's back to basics. It's back to square one, which is yeah. also an exciting thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as threatening as the technological, rapid technological development we are going through right, right now, I also think that, uh, that there will be lots of good possibilities coming out of this uh, uh, technology and that some of the answers for our predicament uh, we will have to find within ourselves. And we mm. might even go back to ancient traditions, Aboriginal traditions, uh, spiritual mm. traditions to find those parts but then there is there is also new opportunities at the same time that is opening up uh, through through technology we just yeah. need to match the technology with human wisdom so i think yes. that that is the key human yeah human humility and wisdom as opposed mm. to hubris <laughs> yeah 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 compassion mm. Mm. you've just been um, you've just been away in nature for two weeks. If I could um, ask you a couple of questions about Thomas. Um, yeah. you, I, I read on your post in LinkedIn, you've been away for two weeks, away from technology, away from reception. What were some of the bigger things allowing yourself, given the work that you do, given your view on the world, but also as, as a man and a human in it, what were some of the bigger things that came up for you during that period of time that you took away from being connected? Yeah, yeah. yeah. First of all, I should say that, that um, I feel very lucky and privileged to be able to just be out in nature in, yeah. in, in these uh, COVID times. That, that is absolutely mm -hmm. not, we, we're not in a very something yeah, to, to, to take for, for granted when we have this locked, uh, lockdown and uh, travel restrictions so luckily in sweden we have just like you in australia we have these vast amounts of of untouched still untouched land that that we have access to and in, in sweden we have this even the public right of access so uh, you are you have the right to access these uh, land if you are if you take responsibility and some of the parts in the north of sweden are even beyond, above the arctic circle and I was uh, together with my girlfriend trekking in, in the National Reserve of, of Sarek. And that's absolutely wilderness. There are uh, no paths, no signs. Uh, there is wow. no mobile coverage or, or, or anything. And you hardly see any, any other persons. Um, and of course, that, that, is, that takes a little while to get used to at first. <laughs> But, but I must also say that, that uh, yeah, uh, that uh, in my life, it has really been out in nature, either up in the mountains or out in the archipelago, uh, where I have been able to access deeper layers in, in myself. And that is, of course, one reason why uh, my foundation has this re retreat center out in the archipelago and that we are actively using nature as a catalyst, both for individual and group processes. Yes. 
So, so for me, it, it's really an opportunity to uh, try to leave civilization behind a bit, um, to leave all these social constructs behind, try to get, get rid of my, my worry and the ongoing, ongoing narrative and, and, and to really, really connect not only to nature, but also connect to, to my, my inner self mm. um, and to reflect. And I should say that uh, um, one of the reflections uh, I did during those days was uh, uh, around um, uh, my uh, journey in, in life and, and mm. that we are going through this lifelong uh, journey. And uh, I'm in my uh, early 60s. Still a few years to the to the to the common uh, uh, retirement uh, age, and I, I will not uh, retire, or I have already retired, and whatever you however you say, I will I will still pursue my my, my passion and, and uh, purpose, and hopefully un, until uh, I'm too old to do that. But I also realize that I might be at a at a stage in life where I'm also in a personal transition from perhaps being more active in um, uh, managing and starting and very much hands-on management in, in, in projects. And I took the time to search a little bit. So what will my role be, if, if not in a year? So in 10 years time, where, where would I want to, to be personally, family-wise, and also... Um, um, uh, with my uh, passion and my purpose in life, what would be my best contribution to mm. to the world in in ten years? Um, and of course, I didn't come up with any answer. I didn't expect to do that. But right. you know, a few days out in nature, reflecting that that starts these um, uh, processes that are constantly going on in yes. our mind on the level below our consciousness and. Uh, yeah, yeah. When when that process uh, is done, something will Im emerge up into my my consciousness, and uh, we'll well, see what that will be. You don't you don't you don't have to figure it out. You just initiated the process yeah. with the psyche yeah. and the depth. Yeah. You, yeah, you can't figure it out. Yeah, you can't figure it out because this is uh, again one of these emergent processes. Just mm. like we can't figure out what's, what what society will look like in twenty years. Yeah. I can't figure out where I will be myself internally in, yes. in, in 10 years. But we need to think about it. And, and again, to, to, to make that analogy, just like I was arguing that, that we all need to be conscious participators in this societal transformation, I also think it's good for us to be conscious participators in our own uh, transformation and, yeah. relax, and reflect on, on that a bit. But not not try to project manage it. Yes, yes. Which is a wonderful lead-in to the last question that I ask all my guests. So it's a hypothetical question, but it, it's essentially this: If you could upload one question into the collective consciousness, so that everybody sat down for seven, eight, ten minutes and considered it, what would that be? Mm. I will give a little bit of a self-serving answer there. Uh, 
I, I have an initiative, which is a media platform called, uh, uh, called Emerge. And, and the question that we are asking on that platform is, what is emerging? And the URL is whatisemerging.com. Hmm. So I, I, would, I would ask that question to, to, to everyone and uh, to uh, ask everyone to try to be again present and open and feel into the future. It's Otto Sharmer's leading from the emerging future sort of yeah. thing that we can actually lean into the future and we can sense into the future and we can feel what is emerging and what do I want to contribute in this emergence and how can I contribute to a positive emergence. Mm. So what is emerging? That's beautiful. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today, Thomas. If, Thank you very much. If people want to connect with your work, there is, the, we mentioned a couple of platforms today. Yeah. Um, we mentioned 29k, 29k.org for you if you want to, uh, uh, yeah, try personal development for, for yourself. That's the more practical side. If you're a little bit more th on the thinking side, I want to to read about these things and participate in a more intellectual discussion around that than um, whatisemerging.org. Yeah, superb. Thomas, thank you so much for your time today. In a world where I'm going to quote an observation I made with the previous guest, some, sometimes I sit around wondering where are the grown-ups and when are they going to turn up? Um, it's this conversation has sort of reinstilled my trust in humanity that there are people um seriously thinking and seriously doing around this and and taking consideration into the truth of the human journey and uh and, and the desire of consciousness to you know tr transform and transcend and evolve um and so it's easy to have ethereal conversations but to actually meet somebody who's actually doing stuff and and bringing it about is is next level encouraging for me so thank you so much for your time and thank you for those words it was a pleasure talking super thank you